0: Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Kelsey Bowler.
1: And I'm Lauren Evans. So this podcast is being released on June 9th, but we are recording the day before June 8th, which just happens to be a really big day for problematic women. It is the birthday of the always problematic Kelsey Bowler. It is the birthday of one of our favorite topic of conversation, Kanye West. Uh, it was somehow randomly, it is the birthday of my own father. Just because why? Not? Why not? But then, it also it is the birthday of our beloved co-host Bree Payton, who passed away a few years ago. She would have been thirty years old today. So, whenever this day comes around, it's it's really just kind of special to be able to celebrate these people. And uh, Kelsey, happy birthday!
0: Yeah, thank you. It was always really fun to share a birthday with Brie and obviously um, that can be hard now with her in a better place uh, but I do love that on this day I'm reminded to think of her and celebrate her mm-hmm. and I will say it does get a little harder every year because I just think you know where she would be if she were still here today and I know that with Every trip around the sun, her platform, her voice would be more and more elevated. She would, you know, she already had so many fans, but Mm. that was, that would have continued to grow. Um, So I just want to say, I do appreciate all of our listeners here on Problematic Women helping to keep her memory alive and celebrate what a beautiful life that she had in the short time that she was here.
1: Mm. Kelsey.
0: (laughs) Okay, so so, powerful. (laughs) Hard to move on from there, but we do have a show. So she she would want the show to move on. (laughs) (laughs) Up on today's Problematic Woman, we're going to have a great discussion on the hit new documentary from the Daily Wire, What is a Woman? We'll also discuss the ongoing baby formula shortage because, yes, that is still a thing. And Problematic Women's appearance at the Turning Point USA Young Women's Leadership Summit. And as always, we will be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. But after a short break, we are excited and honored to be joined by a very special guest today, Vice President for Policy at Independent Women's Forum, Hadley Heath Manning. She is really the perfect person to answer that apparently tricky question, what is a woman? Stay tuned to find out why.
1: Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to problematic women. Those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left.
0: If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference.
1: All right, let's get to it. Welcome to the show, Hadley. We want to talk about Matt Walsh's latest documentary, What is a Woman? Let's roll the trailer. What is a woman? Can you tell me that? (laughs) Well, you're at the women's march. You must have some idea. Please, if one person can tell me what a woman is. You are not here for women. We ask you to leave. What is that? So what is a woman? It took Daily Wire personality Matt Walsh to travel not just the country, but the world to find out. What he found out was advocates of the gender ideology movement who can't define a woman resorting to accusations and victimhood when they realize they have no substantive responses to Matt's seemingly basic fundamental human question.
0: In order to watch this film, you do need a Daily Wire subscription, which we understand not everyone listening to this podcast probably has. But I want to personally say it is worth it. You know, even if you're one of those people who decides to sign up for a month or two just to watch this documentary, I don't think you'll regret it. The film is so good, and it will probably entice you to watch other Daily Wire programs as well. Uh, But for our listeners who haven't yet seen it, I want to share two additional clips which kind of summarize the film. You know, basically, the entire documentary is a contrast between interviews like this one—
1: that we well, I'm not to. even talking about social context. I'm just I'm just trying to start by getting to the truth, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm really uncomfortable with that language of, like, g- getting to the
2: truth. Again, in social why, why life... Is that,
1: why is that uncomfortable?
2: Because that... It sounds actually deeply transphobic to me. Um, and, the if truth? You, and, and if you keep probing, we're going to stop the interview.
0: And then this clip.
2: We have five children's hospitals in the United States telling girls that they can be boys at $70,000 a pop in a surgery that has a 67% complication rate. That will kill me from infection that I can't sue on. We're butchering a generation of children because nobody's willing to talk about anything. So,
0: Hadley, I want to start out by getting your thoughts. What did you think of this film, What is a Woman?,
2: yeah, I mean it's a good film, but it made me sad. I, <laughs> I it really it made me profoundly sad, um, just to see the level of confusion and depravity around this question, which should be a simple question. My kids could answer this question, you know. Um, but here we are, and I'm not the first commentator to mention this. But truly, my biggest takeaway was that once you start to go down this road of questioning, you know, what is a woman? What is a man? not a single person who was on sort of the gender ideology side of this debate the you know the side that Matt Walsh is arguing against not a single one of those interviewees could articulate any definition not just of a woman but of an absolute truth or reality and that was what was so disturbing is that once you start to step away from well a woman can be You know, it can be anything that you want it to be. Anyone is a woman who decides that she is a woman. Then you have to start questioning, well, what is reality? And not just a moral reality or a moral truth, but like a a physical truth, like a physical reality. He was at one point arguing with somebody about, do we even exist? You know, are, are we even having this conversation right now? And that was sad.
0: I want to note that professor that we played a clip from... Uh, who got extremely defensive when asked the simple question, what is a woman? Uh, He has a salary of over $90,000 a year and is a recipient of two grants from the National Science Foundation, totaling over $770,000. I mean, the National Science Foundation, and this is kind of gets into how deep this gender ideology movement goes, where it's embedded into really every institution in American society so quietly sometimes. And, you know, we wonder why it's it's so hard to push back against. And that's because, you know, a lot of the people involved in this movement, unfortunately, are motivated by money. And I think the man, uh, well, he, woman who Uh, appears like a man, Scott Nugent, uh, who's pushing back against the gender ideology movement. He made the point that uh, in five children hospitals in the United States, uh, they are telling girls they can be boys at $70,000 a pop in a surgery that has a 67% complication rate. Mm. And I think one of my big takeaways is I think the left has this perception that conservatives are engaging in this issue because we see it as an opportunity to, quote-unquote, own the libs, or we see it as, you know, a political tool to further our objectives. But really, at its heart, we're engaging on this because we care about children, and we see the physical and mental damage this movement is causing Children, uh, this is something that I've been working on uh, at IWF for a while. We actually have some, uh, you know, uh, we're rolling out a big project sh- soon that I'm sure I'll be sharing with everyone on the, on this podcast. Uh, but it's really devastating, and and I agree, Hadley. The film, it's it's funny. I love that it actually makes you so uncomfortable that you laugh out loud throughout it. But at its heart, it's really dark and devastating to see what this movement uh, has done to children, and I really hope it serves as a wake-up call uh, for sort of that moderate middle uh, on this issue, but I don't know about you, Lauren, I do fear that audience is going to be difficult to reach just because Daily Wire is, uh, you know, Ben Shapiro's platform. (laughs) It mostly has a conservative audience, and you do need a subscription to watch this film. So I wonder if it can reach those, you know, either in that moderate middle or on the other side of this issue.
1: Yeah, that, that's probably my biggest critique. I also thought it was a little long of being at an hour and a half. I think they could have really gotten it down to probably 20 or 30 minutes. And I, that would be if you were in the middle and just were interested, it, less of a kind of time investment to watch it. But, yeah, I, I, everything that you guys said is just so on the nose. And why it is so sad, and, and th- that was the defense. When these people c- continued to get defensive, they would say, why do you care? Why do you care what what I identify as? And Matt Walsh is the perfect person to do this because I don't know if any of us on the call could have sat there straight-faced and really kept, like, pushing and pushing and pushing. And, and it is because of children. It is because these people are not content with just changing their identity and living – quietly living their lives. They want – everyone around them to constantly be affirming them. And that when Matt shows up and is not affirming them, probably the first time a lot of these left-leaning people have not been affirmed in five or 10 years, they just go crazy. And it, it is just insane to watch them do the mental gymnastic of what is a woman? Well, a woman is somebody who identifies as a woman, but yeah, but how do you identify as a woman if you can't define what a woman is and to watch them go back and forth. And then the way that he would directly contrast that with these really Sound minded I don't even think that they're conservatives. They're just people who believe in two genders and back and forth. And Kelsey, I'm glad you showed the clip um of Scott Nugent because he his story and just to watch him is just heartbreaking. I mean you're on the edge of tears, just the pain that this man has gone through and the pain that he continues to go through and that he just wants to do anything to save his children and to save children around him. So
0: Yeah, and Lauren, I have to say it's confusing because Scott is a biological woman. But he has gone so far down this rabbit hole that he or she mm-hmm. now appears physically like a man. Like if you saw Scott on the street, you would think Scott is a man. Uh, but he, you know, lifts his lifts his um, shirt up at one point and shows you where they took a massive skin graft uh, for his, uh, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. You can't really call him reconstructive surgery, uh, but
1: oh, a bottom bottom surgery. <laughs> is what they call I, I, it.
0: But i, I that, that's what the advocates of this call mm. it. I think it's inappropriate, and that's what this mm. documentary gets into. And I, I will say, um, you know, it, it, if anything, it's hardened my views on the need to uh, hold our ground and use <laughs> the correct terminology, the, the truth, uh, because it really is... Causing irreversible children, uh, irreversible damage.
1: Okay, Abigail Schreier. Well,
2: (laughs) (laughs) I want I want to weigh in on just one more aspect of this, maybe, and that is, you know, it's interesting that we're talking about the language around this stuff Mm -hmm. and how the two sides of this debate really do have their own language. They have their own terminology. They even have their own pronouns. You know, and so uh, the problem is becoming, and I hope people take note of this, some publications like newspapers won't even run a column if you don't use the pronouns that accord with their style. And so they've made a decision about if they're on the woke side of this or the anti-woke side of this, right? And so from my perspective, that's just furthering the silos that we live in, right? So people are reading their news, they're getting their media consumption, maybe on social media, maybe online, maybe from newspapers, maybe from TV, wherever you get your news about this, there's a high chance that you're being fed whatever it is that you already think or believe about the subject. And the two sides really aren't engaging with one another very much. Now, Matt Walsh does engage in this in this documentary. And um, I was talking with some friends about this, and I said, you know, I, almost, I kind of pity, I kind of feel bad for these interviewees who are left-wing people who sat down with Matt Walsh. What did they think they were getting into? (laughs) You know, how did they think this was going to come off? Um, And Kelsey, you know, you mentioned the the grants, the federal money, the positions of power that many of these people are in, and that's true. But I'm going to stand by my statement and say that I still feel sorry for them. I still pity them, not because they were embarrassed in this documentary, but because many of them have totally lost touch with truth. And that is worse. You know, you can win the whole world, and lose your soul. And that's what I think the stakes are here. And I'm, I'm concerned that we're not able to actually have discussions and have debates about this in good faith in the public square, for one thing, because we can't even agree on what this is and what we're talking about and what words we're using to talk about it. And that's another, you know, I don't want to leave us on a depressing note, but we've got to work hard to overcome that so that we can talk to our neighbors and friends about this and, and get down to the truth of what's really going on.
0: Well, to leave you all on a more positive note, (laughs) I think Matt Walsh deserves an Oscar for his role in this documentary. Uh, His ability to keep a straight face during these interviews where subjects uh, were so far out of touch with reality that they could not answer the basic question, what is a woman? And luckily, Hadley, you are the perfect person perfect woman to have on this podcast today because we're going to not only answer that question later in the show for our listeners, uh, we're going to share what Hadley and our team at Independent Women's Forum is doing to protect the very natural and obvious definition of womanhood. So stay tuned for that. Lauren, I'm going to toss it to you for a quick ad.
1: Yeah. So if you are enjoying this episode of problematic women and let's say you just can't get enough because I'm sure that that's (laughs) (laughs) you can't get enough problematic women. Well, look no further than She Thinks. She Thinks is a podcast production of the Independent Women's Forum, which Kelsey and Hadley are part of. Every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern, host Beverly Hallberg is joined by policymakers and thought leaders to cut through the spin and bring you facts on the issue that matter most. From the economy and education to foreign policy and everything in between, She Thinks has you covered. And if you can't wait for the next episode of She Thinks to Drop, you can listen to past episodes at IWF.org or search for She Thinks Podcast in your favorite podcast app. Well, speaking of Matt Walsh, he just spoke about his documentary at the Turning Point Young Women's Leadership Summit last weekend. And I know so many of you were at the conference this past weekend in Dallas to hear from him and speakers like Candace Owens, Allie Beth Stuckey, and Kaylee McEnany. I was not able to be there, but our co-host, who is on a vacation this weekend, Virginia Allen, was. And she loved meeting so many of you. Seriously, she just was glowing when she came back and could not... Stop talking about all the wonderful people and how really problematic women made such an impact on everyone that she talked to. Virginia wanted me to specifically thank everyone who came by the booth and got a I think for myself tote or one of our very cool pink problematic women cups. I actually cracked one. I actually cracked mine, and Virginia brought me back a new one. And everybody in the office was so jealous. They were like, How did you get a new one? We want one. So hopefully, we'll be doing a new order really soon. And one of the reasons Kelsey started problematic women was so conservative women would know that they're not alone. So that's why conferences like the Young Women's Leadership Summit are so important and so good to connect. And one of the themes of the conference was being willing to stand by your beliefs even when they are not popular or it might cost you to get canceled or kicked out of the club and getting a bad grade in the class. Even at the conference, Virginia told me that she met two girls who were kicked out of their sororities for their conservative beliefs. And that's crazy because... Sorties are typically known to be more conservative, and I think that really shows what, uh, no pun intended, turning point we are here on college campuses. So, Kelsey, how do you know when an issue is important to stand up when something is really hard? And what advice can you give to these young girls who are really facing choosing between their conservative beliefs or getting a good grade in class or, or joining that club that they really want to be part of?
0: Well, Lauren and Hadley, as many of the listeners know, I'm I'm actually personally personal friends with both of both of you, and both of you know uh, this actually has come up in my own personal life, where I have uh, some very close friends who strongly disagree with a lot of my beliefs, and I'm not going to get into the whole story right now. Maybe maybe on a later podcast one day, but it can be very difficult where you're in a position where you feel you have to choose between. You're maintaining your friendships and speaking out about your beliefs, speaking out about truth. And again, that, that documentary, What is a Woman?, just kind of reiterates why it is so important to hold our ground and uh, speak out about our beliefs when it feels like everything and everyone is working against you. You know, I do think it's important for conservative women to be reminded, whether it's at this conference in person or listening to this podcast or engaging with our work over at IWF, that they are not alone. That, (laughs) unfortunately, there's so much self-censorship on the conservative Side where a lot of conservatives are not posting their beliefs on Instagram. Uh, So you only constantly are fed one side of the debate. But I will tell you firsthand, you know, in those rare moments where in my personal capacity I do share my values and beliefs, I receive. So much positive feedback. So many people thanking me for saying what they don't feel they can say out loud. So I don't have the solution to this other than to tell everyone you're not alone and whether you actually do engage publicly speak your beliefs out loud or just hold them close to your heart and stand by them. You are making a difference and you are not alone. I think every election we're reminded of that. Um, But Hadley, I'd be curious what your advice is for these young women, which who understandably at times do feel very isolated
2: and alone. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of people who are just quiet and they're just self censoring. They're keeping their opinions to themselves and that's a choice people are free to make, of course. But I have had a uh, similar experience to you, Kelsey, where when I have spoken out about something, I've been surprised to find that there are actually people who agree with me. And they weren't going to say anything. They weren't going to stick their neck out. But as soon as somebody else did, they said, you know what? I agree with you. I'm with you on that. And that even happened to me last year. I got in a, um, kind of an argument with my uh, son's preschool about masking. You know, and I was kind of one of the first moms to step forward and say, "You know, I think we can be done with this. I think we can, we can be mask optional." And I pushed for it. And I pushed for it. And finally, the preschool had a town hall, and I thought, "Oh boy, how's this going to go?" <laughs> and tons of parents showed up saying, "Let's take these masks off our kids." And I was just so pleased. You know, so I think a lot of it depends on your environment. You can be outnumbered ten to one, a hundred to one on a college campus, right? But then you might be in a different environment and you'll find many, many people who agree with you. And ultimately, none of this really matters, right? Because what is popular is not always what is right. And sometimes we have to make a choice between what's popular and what's right. And that's easy for me to say in my comfortable home (laughs) office working for an organization that's not going to fire me for having my opinions. There are many people, sadly, there are many adults in this country who are scared to say what they really think because they're concerned not just with their social status, but like literally with their livelihoods and with their jobs and um, with the things that they feel could be taken away from them, even their safety, I think, in some cases. So that's a de- that's another depressing point. Hello, I'm Hadley. I'm, I'm the Problematic Women podcast to make you all feel depressed. But I think, you know, ultimately, the bright spot here is that if you say what is true and if you engage in debates in good faith, at the end of the day, you can put your head on your pillow and know that you spoke what was true and you did your best to treat everyone with respect. And if other people treat you badly, that's between them and God. That's that's not mm-hmm. your issue.
1: Yeah, Hedley, I think you said it so well earlier, and I know this is a, a biblical reference, but you don't want to gain the whole world and lose your soul. So just think in this time, are you, are you giving up a piece of something that's important to you to get some sort of Worldly gains, or is this maybe not as important? And you're you're helping your friends, so it, it is a hard balance, but it's one that we you know just have to find every day. And just know we're here with you on problematic women, even when you do feel like you are alone. The conference did get a a little bit of pushback on media. Uh, media Matters did a hit piece, and it was it's just so funny that the hit piece was not that they were doing anything bad or or you know crazy parties. It was that this conference was really promoting traditional gender roles and that women you know should 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 look to get married and and love their husband and i just love that now that is a countercultural idea how controversial uh, yeah. it is so problematic <laughs> so problematic well, again, thank you to everyone who stopped by to talk to Virginia. I know it's a, a really big ask to talk to Virginia Allen, but we're, <laughs> I'm just kidding. She's wonderful. Uh, but we're, we were so happy to meet you, and we can't wait to get out in the field and meet more problematic women.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's get into this baby formula shortage because while it might feel like old news for a lot of you, For many of us moms, it's still new. It is still very much our reality. We're going to grocery stores and finding empty shelves in the baby formula section. The shortage of baby formula began almost five months ago as a result of utter negligence on behalf of the Biden administration. It's expected to drag on. Well into the summer, according to the Wall Street Journal, the biggest U.S. producer, Abbott Nutrition, finally resumed production over the weekend and is prioritizing specialty formulas, which is encouraging to hear but it is still going to be weeks or likely months before the country has fully stocked shelves and really before mothers don't feel anxiety that they're not going to be able to feed their babies. To me, this is a clear failure by the Biden administration to heed warnings last year about the coming shortage or to work with members of Congress on reforms to prevent it. Uh, I want to note that not all of our elected officials were Negligent as a new mom to a nine month old baby boy, House Republican Conference Chair Elise Stefanik noticed the crisis back in February and sounded the alarm by issuing a letter to the Biden administration's Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, demanding transparency and accountability on their recall formula, which spiked the crisis uh, among many parents. So, according to Stefanik, for months after sending the FDA this letter. In February, her office received no response. It was only after she led a press conference with her fellow House Republican colleagues in May, demanding that the Biden administration address this crisis, that the FDA even acknowledged that they received that letter and were looking into it. I find this really interesting because what the Biden administration has been telling us is that they're not mind readers. That's exactly what President Biden said when asked why didn't you address this soon? Well, I'm not a mind reader, and uh, you know they they kind of claim they couldn't ha- they couldn't predict what was going that this was going to happen. But isn't, isn't a letter from a member of Congress asking for transparency and accountability about what's going on with uh, the Abbott nutrition plant that was shut down? Isn't that a warning? Isn't that an opportunity to look into what's going on here and answer this member of Congress's question? I mean, again, that was back in February. So there's so many instances where the timetable uh, does not add up. And I know... Uh, Sort of like the what is a woman question, this might feel like a political weapon being used um, by the right to, you know, kind of call out the Biden administration for its negligence, but I can tell you as the mother of a baby who is on Uh, some formula, this is very real. This is not political. This is as fundamental as the ability to feed our babies. And, uh, you know, an administration that really has demonstrated its inability to predict the consequences of its actions, whether that's the Afghanistan withdrawal, whether that's massive spending that contributed to inflation. Um, and, and, and now the FDA, you know, basically shutting down this baby formula plant and, and failing to plan accordingly uh, for what might happen. So, Hadley, I know um, you're also a mother of three little ones. Um, I, I believe you don't have any babies on formula right now. <laughs> uh, but what, what is your big takeaway from this ongoing fiasco?
2: Yeah. I mean, first of all, my first baby was formula fed. Um, after about four months, she, this is more information that the audience for problematic women needs to know, but she consistently had blood in her dirty diapers and I tried, you know, elimination diets. I tried restricting my, my diet because that of course affected her through my breast milk and I'm sorry, chest milk. Am I supposed to say human milk, chest milk? Um, but no, my, um, My breast milk wasn't working for her. In fact, nobody's breast milk would have because she uh, could not tolerate some of the proteins um, in that milk. And so she became a Nutramagen baby. For anybody who's not familiar, it's a very expensive kind of foul-smelling, hydrolyzed formula. And that was pretty much the only kind of formula she could use. Maybe there was one you know, uh, different brand, but it was a specialized formula. And so my heart really goes out to the moms and dads who are looking at empty shelves right now. It's especially scary... If your child's on formula for a medical reason and they need a specific kind, I mean, that's, I just can't imagine the specter of running out of formula when you have an infant in that situation. So I don't, I agree with you, Kelsey. It's not a political issue, it's a personal issue for many people, it's a personal crisis for some families in this country. But I think, regardless of who the president is, we ought to step back and ask what policy decisions have we made or, you know, what steps could we take now? to avoid this happening in the future. And I apologize if you hear any of my,
1: <laughs> Those babies my, right my children
2: in the background. <laughs> I'm just glad it's
0: not my kids for one, sadly. <laughs> but it's very fitting that they decide to jump in on the baby formula right. topic. Right,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> can hear the screams of children over this topic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, their dad is watching them. I did not just put them in a, in a different <laughs> room and lock the door during this podcast. But no, I um, I think it's important to ask the policy questions. And um, for recommended reading on this, actually, IWF fellow Mary Vote has an article in Fox News, foxnews.com, that I encourage people to check out where she points not just to some of the things that you mentioned, Kelsey, in terms of negligence from the administration in responding to what is, you know, become a crisis shortage situation, but a deeper issue. And that is the influence of the WIC program. So WIC stands for women, whatever that means, women, infants, and children. And, um, it's a, a program that helps provide, you know, for the nutritional needs of, as, as it sounds like women, <laughs> infants and children. And so, um, many, many mothers, um, use the WIC program to purchase infant formula for their babies. But um, what many people may not realize is that states contract um, through the WIC program with a single formula brand in whatever state. And so in the past, traditionally, if you are a WIC participant, you are limited to that one brand, whether it's Similac or Infamil or whoever has the contract in your state. And while the bids for this are competitive bids, the result is that there's a huge market share that goes to whoever wins the WIC contract in whichever state, and this helps you know that for- formula brand not just through the business they get from the state, but also they get preferential placement in the stores. More non-WIC moms end up buying the WIC brand of formula because it's the preeminent, you know, highly stocked formula in whatever state you happen to be in. So recently, lawmakers have moved to make it so that. If you're a WIC participant, you can buy any kind of formula if you can find it, you know. Um, and I hope that that sticks. I hope that that is a policy that we're going to keep in place. Because, you know, if you think about this in terms of school choice, right, we don't want to assign people to a particular school. We might let the funds follow the student. And that's what we should do in general when we can with any kind of anti-poverty program. Give people the choice. This is what we should do with Medicare, by the way. We should give people a defined contribution and then let them go buy the health insurance, the education, the baby formula, whatever it is that they choose, so that we can spur market competition through some of our government programs. I mean, obviously, we have market competition de facto in the world outside of government programs, but in a world where WIC pays for more than half of the infant formula in this country – we definitely need to have more competition among the people buying formula through WIC. So uh, that's my feel about WIC. But please read Mary's column um, because I think there's an opportunity for reform here that can make our baby formula market more competitive.
1: Yeah, it's just it, it's one of many examples of how the Biden administration really uh, they don't care about the issues that are really affecting the American people. They're so busy on just kind of these vanity issues like gun control and and all the House trying to pass all these packages that won't really do anything to keep Americans safe. But for the first time, I really saw this myself. I was in Orlando this weekend with my sister, and we were at a very busy Walmart. I mean, and it was around noon, and we walked by the formula aisle. There were two cans of formula on the shelf, and I thought to myself, it's only noon. Two people buying formula will be in the store in the next hour. And so to know that there are moms in that store that we're going to walk up to empty shelves. And the feeling that I, I know Kelsey has, and you, Hadley, have talked about, but just that that it's kind of like walking up to the gas pump and it's over $5 and knowing that you only have $50 in your bank account, which won't fill up your tank. It's, it's, the American people are, are just up against a wall with these policies that just really hurt every day. And I just, I, I hope the administration will will step back and, and look at solutions like you just mentioned, Hadley, and, and just find ways that we can work together and know it's not the left versus the right. It's it's the American people who just need to, to be able to feed their babies, you know?
2: Yeah. If you know some moms who are formula feeding their baby, one thing that you could do is is talk to them about what kind of formula their baby uses. And next time you are at a Walmart or somewhere, Snap a picture of that shelf. Maybe there's just two cans there, but maybe it's the kind that they need, and you know, maybe you could even purchase it and take it to them. But um, that's—I've seen a lot of that going on on social media. People are really trying to help one another. That's—that's that's the thing, isn't it? You know, people always want to help their neighbor, even if—even uh, if the government's not there to help. I really do believe that people want to help one another.
0: Right, and while I absolutely do hold the Biden administration responsible for enabling this baby formula crisis to get to the point of being a crisis. uh, I want to point out, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of blame to go around as, as Hadley, you pointed out, the WIC program is not just a Biden administration program that's been around for a long time, but also there's a huge over-regulation issue here regarding baby formula where uh, the FDA some time ago actually banned um, b- banned foreign uh, baby formula from being imported in. Of course, now the Biden administration through Operation Fly Formula is bringing plane loads of formula from abroad into the United States telling parents it is suddenly safe to use. Uh, that wasn't uh, previously an option for parents uh, due to really what I would summarize as an overregulation of the entire industry which has in part enabled these monopolies in of the United States baby formula market so that we got to the point where a single manufacturer has control of somewhere around 40% of the nation supply a baby formula. So really, to me, this is a massive issue. Uh, I I hope this shortage is the breaking point for policymakers to look a hard, take a hard look at not only what enabled the crisis, but what enabled uh, the nation to get to the point where this would ever happen. We need a far more diverse market where smaller companies can play a role um, in the market share of baby formula. And and also, if parents feel that certain European baby formulas are better suited for their babies, they should have that choice to purchase that. That should not be a government decision. Um, So I, I think this is a huge issue that we need to, you know, as women, as mothers, to hold the Biden administration and any administration in an office accountable for because we need not just the short term fix, but the long term fix as well. On that note, uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we'll share our problematic women of the week.
2: Are you looking for quick conservative policy solutions to current issues? Sign up for Heritage's weekly newsletter, The
1: Agenda. In The Agenda, you will learn what issues Heritage scholars on Capitol Hill are working on, what position conservatives are taking, and links to our in-depth research. The Agenda also provides information on important events happening here at Heritage that you can watch online, as well as media interviews from our experts. Sign up for The Agenda on Heritage.org today. Notice that time, once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. And the crown goes to the one and only Hadley Manning and all the wonderful women over at the Independent Women's Forum. They were the winners of one of three inaugural... Heritage Innovation Prizes, it is a new initiative to financially support organizations providing innovative solutions to the most pressing issues facing America. And really, what the Independent Women's Forum has been doing is truly innovative. They received the prize for its efforts to craft the Women's Bill of Rights, a simple insensible declaration on the biology of sex that once and for all answers the question, what is a woman? Hadley, since the Women's Bill of Rights, I've heard, was actually your own idea I want to toss it to you to explain more.
2: Sure. Well, thanks for giving me the opportunity, and um, I do accept this crown on, <laughs> on behalf of all the women at IWF. Um, but no, it's a wonderful organization. I've been there for twelve years. Is that right? It's possible I've been there thirteen wow. years. <laughs> let me let me do some math. Um, <laughs> but I've really enjoyed being a part of this organization. That. Um, fights to advance policy that's not just well-intended but actually enhances people's freedom choices opportunities and well-being and um kelsey is one of my colleagues there and i've really enjoyed working with her but um you're right it's time for the women's bill of rights and um i'd love to share a little bit about what that is and why we need it uh i believe that being a woman is awesome and it's always been a wonderful thing for me i was um you know, born in the 1980s in the United States of America. And I think there's really never been a better time or place to be a woman. Um, I've traveled to other parts of the world where uh, you can learn very quickly that women don't have all the opportunities and freedoms that American women have. But uh, we are facing a challenge right now. um, And that is because there's this effort, as we've discussed um, around the Matt Walsh documentary, There's this effort to undermine or even eliminate biological sex categories from our laws, from our schools, even from science. You know, I've got a midwife friend who couldn't publish a paper because she used the word women and they wanted her to replace it with people who menstruate or something like that. And it's, you know, when we can't even talk about women's health from a scientific perspective, um, you know, some people say, well, this is just semantics. It's just about using more inclusive language. But I don't think that that's true. I think the erasure of biological sex is actually having real consequences um, on opportunities for women and girls, and um, it's also threatening our privacy and our safety. And so we're pushing back with the Women's Bill of Rights. Now, for anyone who might be confused by the title, the Women's Bill of Rights is not um, actually something that would add any new rights to women. So we're not articulating new rights, but we are hoping to codify The common understandings of the words female, woman, and sex, excuse me, because traditionally our legal system has prohibited unjust and arbitrary sex discrimination, but it has not prohibited separation of the sexes in all circumstances. And so that's what we're hoping to keep and to preserve in our legal system and to protect in our legal system from attempts to um, really ultimately erase women. Um, we've seen for decades now the effort to push the Equal Rights Amendment, um, which if anybody has actually read the Equal Rights Amendment, it doesn't mention women anywhere. You know, People, I think, often get it confused, and they think that the Equal Rights Amendment is somehow going to elevate women or provide equal rights to women. It doesn't mention women. Women's equal rights are protected in the 14th Amendment. We've already got equal rights in this country, But the reason we need the Women's Bill of Rights is to articulate that males and females possess unique and immutable biological differences, and those differences have repercussions in the real world. Women, aka females, are able to get pregnant, to give birth, to breastfeed children. Um, Men, aka males, are bigger, (laughs) stronger, faster on average than females. And this um, can at times leave females physically vulnerable. Uh, to certain forms of violence. You guys know what I'm talking about. It can also um, have repercussions in our society because females have traditionally suffered from discrimination in education, athletics, and employment. Now, I will say today the status of women in those fields is is very good. Women are attaining higher levels of education and higher levels of economic power than they've had before. But there's a lot at stake, um, and there's a, there's a lot of um, ways that women could go backwards in our society, in our education system, and in our legal system if we don't pass something like the Women's Bill of Rights. So I encourage people to check it out. Um, You can go to the Independent Women's Voice website, iwv.org, and the Women's Bill of Rights is there. You can read what the Women's Bill of Rights says. Um, It is model legislation. So if you know someone who's a state lawmaker, you can encourage that person to introduce a Women's Bill of Rights in your state. There is a resolution in Congress that reflects the text of the Women's Bill of Rights. And so I encourage people to uh, look that up, support that, let your member of Congress know that you support that. Um, But these are um, important definitions that clearly many people in Matt Walsh's documentary can't articulate, but we know and we believe that our legal system should embrace so that women can continue to have the amazing rights and opportunities and equality that we've had in this country, at least during my lifetime. And I've been very blessed to enjoy that. And I want to see my daughters enjoy that. I want to see my son live in a world where men and women are free to achieve their God-given potential and are comfortable in the identities that they have and that they can you know, lead a life where they have equal opportunities without being forced into uh, sort of a sexless world where there's no diversity and everyone is the same. And we use uh, sanitized language to talk about women and girls and men and boys. Um, So I'm hopeful that people will read up on the Women's Bill of Rights and learn more about what we're trying to do. We don't want to see women erased. And this is our effort to stop that.
0: Yeah. And actually, an easy way for anybody listening to access more information on the Women's Bill of Rights is just by going to womensbillofrights.com. Our team at IWF uh, put together a great website uh, where you can learn more about it. There, um, learn how to get involved and help us be advocates uh, advocates for this and encourage lawmakers uh, to adopt it. I also want to note, um, you know, in the arena of what uh, we are all doing to protect what it means to be a woman, uh, IWF has organized this pretty amazing rally our bodies our sports it's on the 50th anniversary (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) our bodies our sports it's on the 50th anniversary (laughs) of title IX. uh it's um in washington dc at 11 a.m and i have to tell you the lineup of speakers uh is pretty amazing it's um actually the heritage foundation and independent women's forum independent women's voice are all co-sponsors of this event, so um, it's really a broad coalition uh, working to uh, make women's voices heard in this women's sports debate, and the lineup includes many familiar names to anybody listening to this podcast. I, um, you know, I know we have a, a number of speakers from IWF. We have Sarah Perry, one of our favorites on, on this podcast, senior
1: legal fellow at the Heritage she might Foundation. Be the most- problematic of all the women
0: <laughs> yes uh, but then we also have uh, like over a dozen female athletes who have been outspoken on this issue including selena soul who i go back years with um you know a number of these young athletes and also um you know adult professional athletes cynthia Montilione, um riley gaines Uh, the former University of Kentucky swimmer who tied for fifth place against Leah Thomas at the NCAA championships. I could go on. The lineup is really incredible. If you can't be there in person, you can still be involved online. Uh, But for those in the D.C. area, it is June 23rd in Washington, D.C. at the Capitol. The rally is called Our Bodies, Our Sports. You can check out more on that, Our Bodies, Our Sports Dot com. We're keeping the websites very simple for you guys.
1: <laughs> I think more than D.C. too. If you're in New York, Philadelphia, Southern Virginia, North Carolina, just get in the car
2: and be there. It's going to be awesome. I'm glad that you mentioned the, the lineup of speakers for our Title IX rally, Kelsey, um, because I also wanted to mention about the Women's Bill of Rights, that it's got broad support. And it's not just from so-called conservative or right-leaning organizations this Bill of Rights uh, has the support of the Women's Liberation Front and other left-wing feminists who feel that they've fought so hard for women to be recognized and for women to have the rights and opportunities that we have today. They don't want to see women be erased. So I, I find that a very interesting you know, collaboration. But here we are. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> Well,
1: Hadley, thank you so much. This has been so fun to have you on. And and just congratulations and thank you for all your hard work on the Women's Bill of Rights. It is so important in our society today.
2: Well, thanks. The thanks and the appreciation really goes to the whole team at Independent Women's Forum and the other organizations who are partnering with us on this, the members of Congress and state lawmakers who are leading the charge on this. And so it's really a team effort. And um, I also wanted to mention, maybe this will be my closing thought, is that while we're a public policy oriented organization when we're encouraging the women's bill of rights i think that this is ultimately a battle over hearts and minds and so every single person who's hearing this podcast has a part to play and every day that you live your life where you're comfortable in your own skin and you're helping other people feel comfortable and live the lives that um god has intended and god has given to them you are helping with that and you are um helping other people really embrace the reality of biological sex. And I just want to encourage everybody to engage in this as a cultural battle, not just as a legal or public policy battle, but it's something that we can make a difference, you know, as mothers, as fathers, as members of our community, reach out to the young people in your life who might be struggling with this and offer to be, um, someone who can encourage them and, um, And that's 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 where I'll end it.
1: (laughs) Well, I can't think of a better way to end it. Thanks again, Hadley. And that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition.
0: And in the meantime, please subscribe and share.
1: Conservatives need your support in the podcast world. And we would greatly appreciate a five star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great week and we'll see you next week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation.
0: It is a product of the Daily Signal produced by
2: Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram.
1: We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.